All right, you give them my hand as they go. Yeah, that's great. Good, a good-looking crew there. So, awesome. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue with our series that we began last week called Friends. And I want to read a story in Acts chapter 10, a story of a gentleman called Cornelius. If you have Acts chapter 10, in fact, I have it on the, over, uh, on the screens here. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can read along. You can look along as we go. Follow along. Uh, verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, fearing, he, he was a devout, God-fearing man as everyone else in his household, or his, his oikos, for those that are really smart, you know. Uh, everyone else in his oikos. He gave, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said, and Cornelius stared at him in terror. You think? Is this some type of a Halloween prank or something? I'm surprised he didn't say Cornelius passed out. That's probably what I might have done and then woke up. What did I just see? And, uh, And he said, what, sir? The angel asked. And the angel replied, your prayers, your gift to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon at Tana. Not, this was not a tanning salon. It really has to do with hives and all that. So who lives near the seashores? As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them, what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive in us, O God. It's a light unto our feet, and, uh, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray today that our lives may never be the same at the hearing of your word. Let us be changed and never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. In the passage, in fact, I want to read, continue to read on. If you have it still open, Acts chapter 10. I want to read verse 23, 22 and 23. Skipping a few things here. Peter responds. In fact, uh, before I read that passage, let me just bring you back because it'll take us a long time to read the whole chapter. When you, when you go home, read the rest of chapter 10. It's a great story to read. But um, at the same time when this was happening to Cornelius, and he has this vision from God, and... Um, God was actually working on Peter. Peter gets a vision from God. The Bible tells the story, and he gets a different vision. And, uh, and, and in the story, just to paraphrase a little bit, Peter sees this uh, 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 mat that drops down from heaven, and, uh, and he sees all these kinds of foods that him as a Jewish man were forbidden from eating. And, uh, and, and the voice tells Peter, you take up and eat. And Peter says, no way. And he realizes he's talking to God in a vision. I, I, I can't eat that because that's forbidden. That's not for me. I've never once in my life ate anything that is forbidden. So I'm not going to do it. And the Bible says that that happened three times. And God told Peter, how dare you call what I call clean? How dare you call unclean? And so God would give Peter an expectation of an assignment that he had for him. And so verse 23 is when, uh, 22 they said we were sent by Cornelius. This is when the, the people that Cornelius sent to Peter, uh, to, to Peter had arrived. And said so that we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer, 
He's a devout, God-fearing man, well-respected in all the Jew, with all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. And the next day, he went with them and accompanied them uh, uh, with, with, along with some brothers from Joppa. Now, I think that's a very interesting story that we are reading uh, on, the, on the scripture. I love the story. I, uh, if I had time, I'd read it all and then we could go home. And uh, because sometimes the word of God just speaks for itself. That's why we need to be in the word. Amen. Not just rely on a Sunday morning diet. If that's all you're, if you're, that's all you're relying on for your spiritual nourishment, I can tell you that you're starving spiritual, at least living well underneath the potential that God has for you. Because the Bible says, a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. As food is necessary for the nourishment of your body, also a healthy diet of the word of God is necessary for the nourishment of your soul. And so you need to keep in the word. That's how I, always, I have a passage. I can't read it all. You need to read it for yourself. Read some books. Get yourself nourished by the word of God. But anyway, the story is really fascinating to me because it takes two different characters. In fact, uh, Nick, uh, this, uh, um, Cornelius was a very, the, we are told this about Cornelius, that he was a devout, God-fearing man. He was a good man. He honored God. He loved God. In fact, the verses I read later even the Jewish people respected him. He wasn't a Jew by religion, but he was respected for his, um, uh, he practiced what I call good religion. He was a God-fearing man. He had a good family. He says that he was uh, just as everybody else in his household. He gave generously to the poor. You know, people, some people give to the poor, but it's not necessarily because of a heart of generosity, it's because they are pressured, because of different motivations. I've seen even companies that give just because it's a marketing gimmick. Because if we participate in the community, then we'll have more customers and we'll be more trusted. Again, you could do the right things without the right motivation. But here the Bible is clarifying that this guy was given to the poor, but he was also, it was driven out of a generous heart. You know, it's painting a picture of the kind of man that Cornelius was. And then the other thing is that he also is, he, he makes note that of this, that he prayed regularly to God. I'm going to say, wow, I can stop here right now. And those four attributes that are pointed out about Cornelius, there are many Christians that don't even live this way. But God says that there's something was missing in Cornelius' life. And so he sends an angel. He's so pleased with this man. But yet he's still empty. He's still missing something very significant in his life. And he sends an angel who comes and talks to him. And what was the message that he wanted Cornelius? Cornelius, as good as he was, as devout as he was, as God-fearing as he was, as generous as he was, as good as he has raised his household, and as a faithful man in prayer as he was, he was still missing salvation he still did not have jesus he was still not born again he would have been a good man who got many rewards on earth but still end up in eternity without christ end up in eternity they say well i did this well you got your reward on earth i tell you that is a picture of many many good people that we know you and i know they're absolutely great people And they're living their lives 
contributing immensely to society. Obviously, he was respected by the Gentiles, he was respected by the Jews. He was recognized for who he was. Even God was pleased with his devotion. But he still needed something in his life. Something was missing. His life was not complete because we are not complete without Jesus Christ. And so, God, because of his compassion, he sends an angel to Cornelius. Now you think that the angel will give him the message. But the angel does not give him the message. The angel sends him to a man. He says, I want to introduce you to somebody. There's someone I want you to meet. Here's where to go and find him. No details, nothing. You know, it got me thinking, and you can look at this pattern throughout the Bible. God's strategy, God's plan to accomplish his purpose on earth is man. There is no plan B, it's man. God's plan for redemption, it took a man. Jesus had to come from heaven as a human being to die on the cross to redeem mankind. The solution for mankind is mankind. It would be easier if God put a satellite on orbit with an angelic station. Now, this is Angel Michael coming to you, bringing the gospel on Sunday morning. You know, it's a good morning. A good the angel knew the plan of God. He understood the plan of God, but he still had to have Cornelius introduced to someone. So Cornelius would go, and he would meet Peter. And to me, that paints a very good picture of what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is not an assignment of angels. It's an assignment even of Jesus. He modeled discipleship. But think, how did Jesus bring disciples? The Bible says that Jesus walked. He was walking by the riverside. And he saw two brothers. And he said, hey, talk to them. And says, this is what I'm planning to do. Could you follow me? Could you come and walk with me? And they will go. And he did individually call people to follow him. And then in learning, the 12 disciples, we know their stories and they hang out with Jesus and they learn from Jesus. And Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But you go and make disciples. I believe some people, you might think, oh, Pastor Saul, you're preaching about the same thing. Absolutely, because the Lord has shown me is that we need to get this as the body of Christ in America. Because our country will change when those who are called by his name will remember the actual assignment that Christ gave us. Because that's how things are going to change. It's not going to be some angelic visitation in America. But no, 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 no. It's going to be believers introducing Jesus to other people. One by one. The gospel, the country can be changed One by one. Our neighborhoods can be transformed. One by one. Our city can become a city of our God. One by one. Because the gospel in you, it is the power of God that brings salvation. We are not all called to be preachers. I don't even expect all of us to come up here and preach. That's not, I don't think that's what God was looking for. 
But discipleship happens effectively in the realm of relationship, in the realm of friendship. And I started friends. It is awesome to know that God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things, who can change anything at the, at the mention of, of, of his word, the heavens came to being, all this dynamic universe that is so incredible to even fathom with our minds came into being at a spoken word of God. Man, that is humbling that that God would love me. He will save me and he will call me my friend. I love the song we sing here oftentimes that I'm a friend of God. Sometimes we've got to think about what we're singing. It's absolutely remarkable. When I get excited about God, I get excited because I think about how humbling that experience is. That we've been given a tremendous privilege that we can be called friends of God. That might sound funny, but it is true. He called, the Bible says with Adam and Eve, God in the coolness of the day, he will come down to the garden and he will walk and he will enjoy fellowship with those two. You see that it was his intended plan to begin with. Abraham, who was a man of faith in the Old Testament, the Bible says that he had faith. He believed God and God called him. He was called a friend of God. Jesus talks to his disciples, John chapter 15. He says, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. Therefore, go and love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. I'm calling you friends. Never underestimate the power of friendship. See, friendship is a very unique relationship. It's different. The love of friend is different than biological love. It's different than Uh, romantic love. Friendship, you have nothing to hold you together. In a biological or social sense, it's a deliberate decision. And friendship happens naturally. We gravitate towards people that understand us. We have common interests. We have common understanding. We love the Huskers! We were excited together two minutes before the game ended and two minutes after we were upset together. Now that's friendship for a guy. But friendship, uh, you know, easily we gravitate and we become friends with people that see things the way we do. But there's nothing attaching us to continue as friends. That's why uh, the book of Proverbs talks about that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And it goes on in that same passage. It talks about how just like an iron sharpens iron, so is one man sharpens another. It goes on. It talks about friendship. Now, friendship is a unique one because there's no obligation, but yet we grow tremendously through friendships. You might say like, oh, I am who I am, and I become what I want to become. Untrue. When you're little, you are who your your family made you to be. As you get older, you are who your friends are. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. We are influenced by people that we we live in. But discipleship takes on in developing the friendship between one, the, the three relationships, friendship with the Lord, friendship with other believers, and friendship with the lost world. And in the story we read, we see those friendships playing together. I wanted to read a a, a quote here by C.S. Lewis concerning friendship. I thought that was really interesting. He says, I have no duty to be anyone's friend. And no man in the world has a duty to become, to be mine. 
No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself. In parentheses, God did not need to create. He didn't create because he needed to create. It has no survival value rather than it, it is one of those things which give value to survival. Our cultures, every culture, I think, really puts friendship as a secondary relationship. Because there's really no attachment. I, my brother, I see, I'm sitting, I'm looking. Yeah, we look alike. We sound alike. I just realized the oddity that my mother is here too. So, But we are bound biologically. You know what I mean? We are bound biologically. No matter where I go, we are connected that way. My wife and I, we are connected. Not just only when I saw my wife the first time, I wasn't attracted to her spirit. Oh boy, she, I was attracted to her looks. I said, wow, she looks good. And boy, she is, has a good spirit. And sometimes we, we never pa- go past that. You know, so there's a, there's, a, there's a physical connection that keeps us going with the ones that we're related. We might fight. One of my brothers, we fought a lot when we were kids. We fought a lot. But we still, but, but will you try to come in between us? Let somebody come in between us? Or someone try to bully you at school? You might be surprised. The combined force that will come against you. So don't even try. You know what I mean? But friends... That relationship is unique, but yet has so much influence in our lives. Because friends are the ones that say, hey, 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 hey. And before you know it, you realize you change your opinions, you change your values, things that you even knew to be true because you're influenced with something or friendship. But God, but it's also not an obligation. It's a choice. This is why, when we look, this is why being in the body of Christ and being believers is so amazing. Because God brings together people that have nothing else in common other than what the cross did for them. People that would otherwise never cross paths whatsoever. But we are united by the blood of Jesus and we become friends in a different kind of way and it breaks barriers, it breaks walls, it breaks the, the, the sense of trying to be together and just looking alike and, you know what I mean? And liking the same things. That's why the body of Christ is so unique. It says, though we are many, we are one body in Christ. In the scripture, it says that when we go before the throne of God, the men of every nation, men of every tongue will bow before his son and glorify him. Together. There's something so special in the church. And the thing that Jesus Christ has brought us into that the world could never know. But friendship is a choice. To walk with another is a choice. Amos 3.3 said, Can two walk together unless they agree? It's like we want to see our city come to Christ. You can't do it alone. Discipleship is a process where we are walking with Jesus and we have to walk alone, along with others who are walking with Jesus. I want to look at that. In this story, go to verse, uh, verse 1. 
And we see the, the, the significance of the friendship with God here. And I said, I said this earlier. It says that in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man. And as was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. You, you get that picture, you're like, man, hat, hats off, man. This is, a, this is a great guy. But yet he was lacking. What Jesus said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you sovereigns. He was a servant of God. He was faithful in prayer. He was a God-fearing man. He did all he knew to do, but yet he was missing that one line. You're no longer. Being a good man is not enough. You need to be transformed from just being a godly man to becoming a friend of God. And that process is what salvation is. And... To do that, he needed friends. It's like, I want to, the angel said, I want to introduce you to someone. And he goes out and he meets the people that he's supposed to. And they're the ones that come out and tell him about the gospel. And then he and his household will come to the Lord. And Cornelius will become a really great believer. In fact, his house would be a beginning of a new church. Think about that. So, in order for Cornelius, who was already a righteous man in his own right, a good man in his own right, a confident man in his own right, a successful man in his own right, he was successful. He had attendants, he had servants, he had all this. He was a, he was a good man in his own right. But he needed to be introduced to new friends to enrich his life. To add value to his life. Something he would have never known unless he had walked out of his sphere of uh, the uh, realm of comfort, his comfort zone, and launched into a new territory that he's not very familiar with. But he was introducing, is that introduction that brought him into a new life in Christ. That is no different than any one of us. In fact, they've done studies about all these um, people. That, that get saved or respond to Christ in big conventions. Uh, like Billy Graham preaching. Joe Austin came to our city and he preached. Oh man, wasn't that awesome listening how many people were, were, were responding to Christ and when he preached. And he asked people and people were standing all over the auditorium. And it was powerful sense of the Holy Spirit in that room as people gave their hearts to God. But they did studies and they've seen that a very small percentage, absolutely very small percentage of those people Continue on to serve Christ. And then they did another study of how many people remain as followers of Christ. And then they came to Christ because someone they know, a friend of them, a family member, someone close to them. They might not be perfect, and I hope they are not perfect, because I'll scare them to death. But say, hey, come to church with me. Oh, let's do that. Let me do, you know. And they came to the Lord that way. Those people, it says that they continue to walk on with Christ for the rest of their lives. The percentage is so high. Let me ask you. How many of you came, say, to this church? Let's use this as an example. You came or you came to Christ because someone you know influenced you. Yeah, someone you know invited you. Stretch your hands so I can see it. Come on. It was a relationship connection. All right, done. How many of you came to Christ 
Because an angel showed up in your room one evening. <laughs> How many came to Christ because they were watching someone on TV? It happens. Or listen to a radio station. Or saw an advertisement somewhere. It says, hey, if you need Jesus, you know, repent right now. You know, and you, how many? Look across the room. No one. See what I'm saying? God's strategy is and always will be the best strategy. Cornelius could have gotten saved by the word of the angel. But God knew unless he was connected. Ed, come with me. And as he met, he was introduced to new people. And they were walking together. That Cornelius, that conversion would have maybe meant nothing. But this, they were adding. There was an exchange going on. He's adding value to my life. I'm adding value to his life. And we walked together and we, we served the Lord. That, is God's, that was God's design from the beginning. That is God's design now. That will always be God's design and it will trump any creativity of man. These people in the book of Acts live in an ans- uh, lived in a, in a community, in a, a society that was not, uh, many people had not traveled much more than 30 miles outside their village. They didn't have Facebook, Twitter, text messages. They didn't have millions of Bible apps on their phones. They had none of that. But they impacted their world upside down in a very short period of time. I remember when I, I used to, when I started my own business, I talked to a mentor and he says, hey, I never invest, I never invested anything on, uh, on marketing. Sorry if you're my marketing manager in your company. I'm not putting down marketing. I see. But he said, my business grew because of relationships. Because those that I served knew what I did for them. And then they told others, hey, you need to talk to that man. You have a problem with this? You need to talk to so-and-so. And he built a whole business out of that, never spent a dime on marketing. Now, is marketing bad? Absolutely not. There's a place for that. The greater point I'm making is God wired us, created us for relationship. Keeping the relationship first with him, relationship with other believers, and relationship with the lost world. Now, Cornelius um, uh, needed to make friends with believers. I know in this room I'm talking to two different people here. Let me, let me go into the other one and then I'll, I'll give a, a couple contrasts here for you. Then you see the second is uh, uh, friendship with the other believers. It's not necessary. And, uh, and we uh, won't read that. The third one is friendship with the lost world. Peter, uh, verse 28 says, Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for, Jewish, for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent uh, forth. I think both of these men were religious men. Cornelius was a religious man, a devout man. We, We read all about it. Peter was also a very, very committed man. But but Peter had something Cornelius did not have. He had Jesus. He had been saved. He understood what it meant for Jesus Christ to come. He understood the process of salvation. He knew God. He loved God passionately. But 
his attitude towards an unbeliever was way off. He was, he was prejudiced. He, tells, he, did, he told God, I'm not going to eat that. I know that's unclean. Never in my life have I ever ate anything unclean. And God was showing the same vision three times. And Peter says, no way. He argued with the, with the angel. Cornelius was in terror. Oh my word, who's talking to me here? Peter's like, no way, God, no way. I know that's wrong. I already know. I read the book. It's wrong. So you see, God was actually working with two people. They're dealing with two different things in their lives. Both had an imbalance. Peter knew Christ. There was no question. Peter is the guy that preached and 3,000 people would come to the Lord. He preached again and 5,000. He knew the Lord. But his attitude towards non-believer was wrong. Because he had put himself above them. And God was dealing something in him. And you see it in the association. I'm not going to go read it, but I'm going to just paraphrase it. The first encounter of Peter and Cornelius. I'm going to try to illustrate it rather than going back to build it. Cornelius comes and he meets Peter. And the Bible says he gets on his knees. He wants to worship. And Peter says, hey, get up. I'm a man just like you. I'm not different than you. I'm just a man. What's the greater point? It's easy to become a Christian and serve the Lord and have all these good things happening in your life. And forget that it's only by the grace of God that you are who you are. It is a gift of God, nothing you earned. You're no different than the guy down there apart for the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's the attitude that we need to keep always so that we are humble when we talk to non-believers. We're not talking down to them. We just were humble. We received a gift and says, Lord, I accept you. I thank you for, for loving me this much. I thank you for, 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 for dying on the cross for my sins. I thank you for the grace that you give. If you keep a humble attitude, I tell you, non-believers will not be running away from you. But if you're hearty in your spirituality, they will sense that from a distant fan, they will run away from you. They will never listen to a thing you say. But we have to keep a humble attitude. And Peter, God circumcised it within his heart, that attitude. And so by the time he met Cornelius, he came and says, Oh, hey, Cornelius, I'm not better than you. I am just a man like you. I've just been saved by the grace of God. And you need that grace in your life. You're already a good man. But good men don't go to heaven. It's people that have come to Jesus. There are many people that we know that are horrible. And because one day they, they receive the grace of God. And you find them in heaven and think, oh, how in the world would such a guy make it there? Again, it's not us. I'm not God. You are not either. And God says, whosoever shall come, whosoever shall receive, God says he will give him eternal life. He say, whoever. So here we see a good man. Both were religious in their own side, but they were in two different contrasts, and God is working on them. I know as I speak in this room, we have people on both sides. There are some people that forget that when you come to Christ, you need 
to increase influences, you need to allow yourself to come to a place of relationship with other believers so that they can influence your life and to grow. And it's not like you disown all your friends, but some of you are so deep into your friendships with the world that you're not transformed, if you would, by the way you think. The Bible says in, in, in Hebrews that we are to allow God to transform our lives by changing the way we think. You can have the right heart to follow God, but it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is that going to happen if all the people you hang around with all the time are non-believers? You're going to get their perspective on everything. Their perspective on marriage. Their perspective on finances. Their perspective on politics. Their perspective on everything. And you wonder, I love God, but my life isn't changing. You love God, your life changes if you are deliberate. When with friends, you have to be deliberate. There is nothing sociological or biological that attaches you to a friend. It's a choice. It's a choice to be here this morning. It's a choice to go to a small group. It's a choice. But never undermine the power of walking together. I was evaluating my life and thinking about how I came to the Lord and how I grew in Christ. And I realized, you know, I've said, I never grew up dreaming or even wanting to be a pastor. It was never. I'd never even thought about it. It was never even crossed my mind that that's what I would do. And how did I end up being a pastor? And, you know, I was evaluating my life this week. I was thinking about this, and I realized, wow. I remember an instance when I was a young man. And I, somehow, our church used to do a lot of outreach. We used to do a lot of things, fun things together. And there's this outreach we did every year. It was a, it was a sports outreach. We just do a good competitive sports thing, and we had different sections competing against the other. And I was a sports fanatic, you know. I was in sports. I knew everything in every sport from the time I was like eight or seven, you know. Um, uh, I could tell you every sport, you know, just not what was played in Kenya. I was in sports like crazy. Okay, so that's kind of an introduction to my life. So when this sports day came to the church and I was like, man, how are we going to do? It's like, you know, I know a lot of athletes. So I told my pastors, like, I get a lot of athletes and they'll make this thing really exciting. And so I started talking to a lot of athletes that were my friends to come. Some of them were Olympians. And they just came. But it was an outreach. Like, hey, we have this awesome thing at our church going on. So they'll come around just to, to help us, come train ourselves, you know. And so I got a bunch of uh, athletes involved in, in, in that uh, event one year. But in doing so, as we were playing the event, I was hanging out with my pastor a lot as we were playing the event. And I realized in that process, it, it, the, 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 the process, I... And my pastors were started to become just friends. No, his, the relationship with the pastor was still, he was still my pastor, but we are starting to like, we liked a few things together. And I, and I was evaluating my life and I realized that's when far, the first seeds were planted. At the time, I wasn't thinking. My pastor's name at the time was Pastor Jimmy, and he would pick me up. We'll go to church to prayer together after that. You know, the sports was well gone. But before, after that, we live very close together. We'll go to church together. We'll go to. And before I realized, it's like he impacted my life. You know, I was a teenager, 18, unmarried, unemployed, everything above. And he was married. He was so old. He was 29 years old with kids. <laughs> and I was, you know, and so I got too close to his family and just seeing how he, he raised his family. And you know, those things were happening organically. 
And I didn't realize the trace and the impact it had on my life. And how I ended up becoming a pastor myself. Not something I was planning out, but God had a greater plan for my life. I had no understanding of, but he was using friends to impact my life positively. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the plans that Christ has for those, for God has for those who love him. Do you love him? Do you love him? You have never even thought about. You have never even conceived the plans that God has in store for you. Friends play a huge part in that. Let me talk on something I, I touched on earlier, just to go back with friendship with, uh, with other believers. As a kid, I was the... <laughs> now I'm re- re- it's funny now, you know, when my mom isn't here, I can say these stories differently, but now I'm thinking, when I was a kid, I was always... Um, I was a social... Everybody was my friend. And I was everybody's friend. I was very social. Every kid in school, every kid in the neighborhood knew me. Even the ones that I didn't know, I didn't know. I, they knew who I was. I was blessed with the gift of gabbing. I got myself in trouble oftentimes by saying too much. But being a social animal as I was, I ended up hanging out with a lot of friends that were not really good friends. Even though I wasn't in doing all the stuff that they were doing, just by association, my character or my reputation was judged by who I hang out with. And I remember on two different occasions, a couple things happened. And uh, one kid, like uh, his dad lost a Rolex watch and somehow, and he was so furious he came to my parents so upset and my name was dropped. I had no idea. I, I knew nothing about it. And I'm like, hey, what happened? Do you know about this dad, uh, kid's dad or did you see it? I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And I'm looking across the room. Nobody believes me. And honestly, I didn't. And there's nothing as horrible as being accused of something you know nothing about. But because of my association, he made the story Somewhat believable. I think. As believers. If you. Your cluster. People that influence your life. If you're walking with God. I want to encourage you. To be deliberate. In associating yourself with other people. That are growing in Christ. Begin to form new friends. Be deliberate about it. Get in small groups. The people might look strange the first time you meet them and you might be surprised once you get to know them. And it's not like you will meet a guy and say, hey, when I met Bruce, my life was transformed. No. It's not like that. But God uses those connections to transform us day by day. Their experiences, my experiences, transform us and make us into the people that we should be the people that God wants us to be. We can't do it on our own. Sorry. You might think like, oh, no, I can do it. No, you cannot. Because it was never designed that way. Lastly, reiterating the last point, friendship with the world, and there are those that, with the lost. You got to be friends. And it cannot be a top-down relationship. It has to be genuine. It has to be just being interested. 
I have some neighbors, uh, a neighbor that we were neighbors. And then we started being friends. And I talked to the guy about the Lord. And he would not want to talk about the story uh, much, you know. But we became friends and we like to golf together. And I have neighbors in this room and they know the story. But now we're still friends. We're still neighbors. But more importantly, we're brothers in the Lord. It'd be fine to go to heaven and shoot nine to get a quick nine together. In Jesus' greens, you know. But it's not about preaching at people. You hear me? It's not about, it's having a genuine interest in people. Praying for people. Being there for them. And they know when you're a believer and if you're not. Because if Christ is in you, you don't have to try to use many words. They can tell. Just be who you are. And God wants to change our world. God wants to change our city. I believe that there's a great revival coming to Lincoln. I believe it's a transformation. It's, 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 not, it's not a big event. It's going to be one soul at a time coming to Christ. When we begin to prioritize on our friendship with God, friendship with other believers, and not losing the touch of being friends with people that do not know Christ. There are people already in our lives that God would use to touch, and he would use no one else but us to touch. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Let's give God praise. Stand up together with me. Did you receive anything from God today? Come on. I want to pray with us. I want us to just pray together. Um, um, As we pray, this is why as a pastoral team, we are emphasizing so much of building a church here in Lincoln that is patterned under the blueprint of the early church. We don't want to go off script because in our information age that we live in, we have access to so many information. There's books about just about everything. And I, and I like studying and expanding the view. But I want to go back to the book. Because there is a design that God has. Now, I want to read, uh, as we, before we go to prayer, I want to read the message that Peter spoke to Cornelius. Verse 38 says, I don't have it over there, so I'm going to read it here. Now, God anointed Jesus Christ. So he's, telling, he's trying to bring this guy to Jesus. God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and, the, and, and in Jerusalem. That was a cosmopolitan uh, um, uh, city. Who they killed by hanging him on the tree, the ragged cross. Him, God raised up. God raised up the third day. And he showed him openly. Openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is, it is he who was ordained by God to judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believes in his name, he will receive remissions of sin. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who had the word. 
And all those of the circumcision, these were the Jews, the devoted people, the friends that came with Peter. They were astonished as many of them came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured upon the Gentiles. For they had them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that this should be baptized? Who who had also already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay there a few days. Peter gave him the message of salvation. The most simple message that a child can narrate. But it's a message that the Lord is bringing the church to. When that message is proclaimed from the heart, the Bible says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to those who believe. And they, as they heard the word, he didn't even have time to lay hands on them. As they received the word of salvation, the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world that we live in today. He died on the cross. He died on the tree on the third day. He overcame death. And that if we believe on his death on the cross, if we receive in the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon them. It is the power of God that brings salvation. To those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ was alive then, the gospel of Jesus Christ is alive now. The gospel of Jesus Christ saved you and me, the gospel of Jesus Christ can send any sinner, any sinner, no matter how awful they are, when they receive the message of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God that brings transformation into the lives of people. We need to get that message again in our hearts. We need to proclaim this message because the Bible says that this power that is released in heaven of the power, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's a mistake we make time and time and time again. We think it's upon us. And we try to do it in our own wisdom, in our own understanding. But we don't, no need for that. We need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit who's alive right now. You might be here and we're standing and we're going to pray. Maybe you have not received the gospel in your life. If you are to die today, you have no idea where you'll be. Say, so you don't have to walk out of this room today with any doubt. Because it says, when you believe in the message of Jesus, if you receive him, he says, your sins will be forgiven. And that you will have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is here. As we pray today, I want to pray for believers. I want to pray for people. When we go to this next session of worship, what we're seeing so much, what we worship... We allow this time for God to work. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. So I'm gonna, we're gonna open the altars for prayer. But, but as I believe the Holy Spirit wants to be poured out in people's life. So we're not walking in our own strength. We're walking in His power. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, let's pray. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your amazing love. You said it is the love of God that draws men to repent. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive us. Of when we have limited your power, Lord, where you have, we have limited the power that you put in us, oh God, we ask that you would take it away from us, Lord, and breathe upon us afresh today, if you would, the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, oh God. We thank you for our city. We thank you for our country. We thank you for this time, oh God, that we live in, oh God. We ask that you will help us to be the Peters, to be the people that are witnesses for our community, oh God, to see Lincoln be called one day the city of our God. We thank you and we honor you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. In that attitude of prayer and worship, I just want every eye closed 
Just for a moment in the presence of God. You're saying, Pastor Solo, you know, I know about Jesus. I know about all this. But I have never asked Jesus into my life. I've never really given my heart to Jesus. Today, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want him to come into my life. I want to pray a special prayer for you in a moment. And I want you to just raise your hand so I can see you. Every head bowed, every eye closed in the presence of God. I just want you to thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Just so Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Thank you, sir. Put your hand down. Anybody else? I want Jesus. Thank you, sir. Put your hand down. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. And I want us to pray a collective prayer together. I'm going to lead. And let's pray for this. I raise your hand. They're telling God, I want you in my life. I'm going to pray together. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to this world and died for my sin. I thank you that you have loved me with an everlasting love. Today I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me and fill my life with your, Holy Spirit. with your Holy Spirit. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. I, confess today I confess today that you are my Savior, you are my Savior. and my Lord. my Lord. I receive your gift of salvation, your gift of salvation. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank